0: Oliver Twist chapter thirty four. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philippone. Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. Chapter thirty four. Contains some introductory particulars relative to a young gentleman who now arrives upon the scene, and a new adventure which happened to Oliver. It was almost too much happiness to bear oliver felt stunned and stupefied by the unexpected intelligence he could not weep or speak or rest he had scarcely the power of understanding anything that had passed until after a long ramble in the quiet evening air a burst of tears came to his relief and he seemed to awaken all at once to a full sense of the joyful change that had occurred and the almost insupportable load of anguish which had been taken from his breast the night was fast closing in when he returned homeward laden with flowers which he had culled with peculiar care for the adornment of the sick chamber as he walked briskly along the road he heard behind him the noise of some vehicle approaching at a furious pace Looking round, he saw that it was a post-chaise, driven at great speed, and as the horses were galloping and the road was narrow, he stood leaning against a gate until it should have passed him. As it dashed on, Oliver caught a glimpse of a man in a white nightcap, whose face seemed familiar to him, although his view was so brief that he could not identify the person in another second or two the nightcap was thrust out of the chaise window and a stentorian voice bellowed to the driver to stop which he did as soon as he could pull up his horses then the nightcap once again appeared and the same voice called oliver by his name here cried the voice oliver what's the news miss rose master oliver is it you giles cried oliver running up to the chaise door giles popped out his nightcap again preparatory to making some reply when he was suddenly pulled back by a young gentleman who occupied the other corner of the chaise and who eagerly demanded what was the news in a word cried the gentleman better or worse better much better replied oliver hastily thank heaven exclaimed the gentleman you are sure quite sure replied oliver The change took place only a few hours ago, and Mr. Losburn says that all danger is at an end.' The gentleman said not another word, but opening the chaise-door, leaped out, and taking Oliver hurriedly by the arm, led him aside. "'You are quite certain?' "'There is no possibility of any mistake on your part, my boy, is there?' demanded the gentleman, in a tremulous voice. "'Do not deceive me by awakening hopes that are not to be fulfilled.' i would not for the world sir replied oliver indeed you may believe me mr losborne's words were that she would live to bless us all for many years to come i heard him say so the tears stood in oliver's eyes as he recalled the scene which was the beginning of so much happiness and the gentleman turned his face away and remained silent for some minutes oliver thought he heard him sob more than once but he feared to interrupt him by any fresh remark for he could well guess what his feelings were, and so stood apart feigning to be occupied with his nosegay. All this time Mr. Giles, with the white nightcap on, had been sitting on the steps of the chaise, supporting an elbow on each knee, and wiping his eyes with a blue cotton pocket-handkerchief dotted with white spots— that the honest fellow had not been feigning emotion was abundantly demonstrated by the very red eyes with which he regarded the young gentleman when he turned round and addressed him i think you had better go on to my mother's in the chaise giles said he i would rather walk slowly on so as to gain a little time before i see her you can say i am coming i beg your pardon mr harry said giles giving a final polish to his ruffled countenance with the handkerchief "'But if you would leave the postboy to say that I should be very much obliged to you, "'it wouldn't be proper for the maids to see me in this state, sir. "'I should never have any more authority with them if they did.' "'Well,' rejoined Harry Mayley, smiling, "'you can do as you like. "'Let him go on with the luggage, if you wish it, and do you follow with us. "'Only first exchange that nightcap for some more appropriate covering, "'or we shall be taken from madmen.' Mr. Giles, reminded of his unbecoming costume, snatched off and pocketed his handkerchief, and substituted a hat of grave and sober shape, which he took out of the chaise. This done, the postboy drove off, Giles, Mr. Mayley, and Oliver followed at their leisure. As they walked along, Oliver glanced from time to time with much interest and curiosity at the newcomer he seemed about five-and-twenty years of age and was of the middle height his countenance was frank and handsome and his demeanour easy and prepossessing notwithstanding the difference between youth and age he bore so strong a likeness to the old lady that oliver would have had no great difficulty in imagining their relationship if he had not already spoken of her as his mother mrs maylie was anxiously waiting to receive her son when he reached the cottage the meeting did not take place without great emotion on both sides mother whispered the young man why did you not write before i did replied mrs maylie but on reflection i determined to keep back the letter until i had heard mr losburn's opinion but why said the young man why run the chance of that occurring which so nearly happened if rose had i cannot utter that word now if this illness had terminated differently how could you ever have forgiven yourself how could i ever have known happiness again if that had been the case harry said mrs bailey i fear your happiness would have been effectually blighted and that your arrival here a day sooner or a day later would have been of very very little import and who can wonder if it be so mother rejoined the young man or why should i say if it is it is you know it mother you must know it "'I know that she deserves the best and purest love the heart of man can offer,' said Mrs. Mayley. "'I know that the devotion and affection of her nature require no ordinary return, but one that shall be deep and lasting. If I did not feel this, and know besides that a changed behaviour in one she loved would break her heart, I should not feel my task so difficult of performance, or have to encounter so many struggles in my own bosom when i take what seems to me to be the strict line of duty this is unkind mother said harry do you still suppose that i am a boy ignorant of my own mind and mistaking the impulses of my own soul i think my dear son returned mrs maylie laying her hand upon his shoulder that youth has many generous impulses which do not last and that among them are some which being gratified become only the more fleeting above all i think said the lady fixing her eyes on her son's face that if an enthusiastic ardent and ambitious man might marry a wife on whose name there is a stain which though it originate in no fault of hers may be visited by cold and sordid people upon her and upon his children also and in exact proportion to his success in the world be cast in his teeth and made the subject of sneers against him, he may, no matter how generous and good his nature, one day repent of the connection he formed in early life, and she may have the pain of knowing that he does so. "'Mother,' said the young man, impatiently, "'he would be a selfish brute, unworthy alike of the name of man and of the woman you describe who acted thus.' you think so now harry replied his mother and ever will said the young man the mental agony i have suffered during the last two days rings from me the avowal to you of a passion which as you well know is not one of yesterday nor one i have lightly formed on rose sweet gentle girl my heart is set as firmly as ever heart of man was set on woman i have no thought no view no hope in life beyond her and if you oppose me in this great stake, you take my peace and happiness in your hands, and cast them to the wind. Mother, think better of this, and of me, and do not disregard the happiness of which you seem to think so little.' "'Harry,' said Mrs. Mayley, "'it is because I think so much of warm and sensitive hearts that I would spare them from being wounded. But we have said enough, and more than enough, on this matter just now.' "'Let it rest with Rose, then,' interposed Harry. "'You will not press these overstrained opinions of yours "'so far as to throw any obstacle in my way.' "'I will not,' rejoined Mrs. Mayley. "'But I would have you consider—' "'I have considered,' was the impatient reply. "'Mother, I have considered. Years and years. "'I have considered ever since I have been capable of serious reflection. "'My feelings remain unchanged, as they ever will.' And why should I suffer the pain of a delay in giving them vent, which can be productive of no earthly good? No, before I leave this place, Rose shall hear me.' "'She shall,' said Mrs. Mayley. "'There is something in your manner which would almost imply that she will hear me coldly, mother,' said the young man. "'Not coldly,' rejoined the old lady. "'Far from it.' "'How, then?' urged the young man. "'She has formed no other attachment.' no indeed replied his mother you have or i mistake too strong a hold on her affections already what i would say resumed the old lady stopping her son as he was about to speak is this before you stake your all on this chance before you suffer yourself to be carried to the highest point of hope reflect for a few moments my dear child on rose's history and consider what effect the knowledge of her doubtful birth may have on her decision, devoted as she is to us, with all the intensity of her noble mind, and with that perfect sacrifice of self, which in all matters, great or trifling, has always been her characteristic. What do you mean?' "'That I leave you to discover,' replied Mrs Bailey. "'I must go back to her. God bless you.' "'I shall see you again to-night,' said the young man, eagerly. "'By and by,' replied the lady, "'when I leave Rose.' "'You will tell her I am here,' said Harry. "'Of course,' replied Mrs. Mayley. "'And say how anxious I have been, "'and how much I have suffered, "'and how I long to see her. "'You will not refuse to do this, mother.' "'No,' said the old lady, "'I will tell her all.' "'And pressing her son's hand affectionately, "'she hastened from the room.' Mr. Losburn and Oliver had remained at another end of the apartment while this hurried conversation was proceeding. The former now held out his hand to Harry Maley, and hearty salutations were exchanged between them. The doctor then communicated in reply to multifarious questions from his young friend a precise account of his patient's situation, which was quite as consolatory and full of promise as Oliver's statement had encouraged him to hope and to the whole of which mr giles who affected to be busy about the luggage listened with greedy ears have you shot anything particular lately giles inquired the doctor when he had concluded nothing particular sir replied mr giles colouring up to the eyes nor catching any thieves nor identifying any housebreakers said the doctor none at all sir replied mr giles with much gravity well said the doctor i am sorry to hear it because you do that sort of thing admirably pray how is brittles the boy is very well sir said mr giles recovering his usual tone of patronage and sends his respectful duty sir that's well said the doctor seeing you here reminds me mr giles that on the day before that on which I was called away so hurriedly, I executed, at the request of your good mistress, a small commission in your favour. Just step into this corner a moment, will you?" Mr. Giles walked into the corner with much importance and some wonder, and was honoured with a short whispering conference with the doctor, on the termination of which he made a great many bows and retired with steps of unusual stateliness. The subject-matter of this conference was not disclosed in the parlour, but the kitchen was speedily enlightened concerning it, for Mr. Giles walked straight thither, and having called for a mug of ale, announced with an air of majesty which was highly effective, that it had pleased his mistress in consideration of his gallant behaviour on the occasion of that attempted robbery, to deposit in the local savings-bank the sum of five and twenty pounds for his sole use and benefit.' at this the two women servants lifted up their hands and eyes and supposed that mr giles pulling out his shirt-frill replied no no and that if they observed that he was at all haughty to his inferiors he would thank them to tell him so and then he made a great many other remarks no less illustrative of his humility which were received with equal favour and applause and were withal as original and as much to the purpose as the remarks of great men commonly are above stairs the remainder of the evening passed cheerfully away for the doctor was in high spirits and however fatigued or thoughtful harry maylie might have been at first he was not proof against the worthy gentleman's good humour which displayed itself in a great variety of sallies and professional recollections, and an abundance of small jokes, which struck Oliver as being the drollest things he had ever heard, and caused him to laugh proportionately, to the evident satisfaction of the doctor, who laughed immoderately at himself, and made Harry laugh almost as heartily by the very force of sympathy. So they were as pleasant a party as under the circumstances they could well have been, and it was late before they retired, with light and thankful hearts, to take that rest of which, after the doubt and suspense they had recently undergone, they stood much in need. Oliver rose next morning, in better heart, and went about his usual occupations, with more hope and pleasure than he had known for many days. The birds were once more hung out to sing in their old places, and the sweetest wild flowers that could be found were once more gathered to gladden Rose with their beauty the melancholy which had seemed to the sad eyes of the anxious boy to hang for days past over every object beautiful as all were was dispelled by magic the dew seemed to sparkle more brightly on the green leaves the air to rustle among them with a sweeter music and the sky itself to look more blue and bright such is the influence which the condition of our own thoughts exercise even over the appearance of external objects men who look on nature and their fellow-men and cry that all is dark and gloomy are in the right but the sombre colours are reflections from their own jaundiced eyes and heart the real hues are delicate and need a clearer vision it is worthy of remark and oliver did not fail to note it at the time that his morning expeditions were no longer made alone harry maylie after the very first morning when he met oliver coming laden home was seized with such a passion for flowers and displayed such a taste in their arrangement as left his young companion far behind if oliver were behindhand in these respects he knew where the best were to be found and morning after morning they scoured the country together and brought home the fairest that blossomed the window of the young lady's chamber was opened now for she loved to feel the rich summer air stream in and revive her with its freshness but there always stood in water just inside the lattice one particular little bunch which was made up with great care every morning oliver could not help noticing that the withered flowers were never thrown away although the little vase was regularly replenished nor could he help observing that whenever the doctor came into the garden he invariably cast his eyes up to that particular corner and nodded his head most expressively as he set forth on his morning's walk pending these observations the days were flying by and rose was rapidly recovering nor did oliver's time hang heavy on his hands although the young lady had not yet left her chamber and there were no evening walks save now and then for a short distance with mrs maylie he applied himself with redoubled assiduity to the instructions of the white-headed old gentleman and laboured so hard that his quick progress surprised even himself it was while he was engaged in this pursuit that he was greatly startled and distressed by a most unexpected occurrence the little room in which he was accustomed to sit when busy at his books was on the ground floor at the back of the house it was quite a cottage-room with a lattice window around which were clusters of jessamine and honeysuckle that crept over the casement and filled the place with their delicious perfume it looked into a garden whence a wicket-gate opened into a small paddock all beyond was fine meadow-land and wood there was no other dwelling near in that direction and the prospect it commanded was very extensive one beautiful evening when the first shades of twilight were beginning to settle upon the earth, Oliver sat at this window, intent upon his books. He had been poring over them for some time, and as the day had been uncommonly sultry, and he had exerted himself a great deal, it is no disparagement to the authors, whoever they may have been, to say that gradually and by slow degrees he fell asleep. There is a kind of sleep that steals upon us sometimes, which, while it holds the body prisoner, does not free the mind from a sense of things about it, and enable it to ramble at its pleasure. So far as an overpowering heaviness, a prostration of strength, and an utter inability to control our thoughts or power of motion can be called sleep, this is it. And yet, we have a consciousness of all that is going on about us, and if we dream at such a time, words which are really spoken, or sounds which really exist at the moment, accommodate themselves with surprising readiness to our visions, until reality and imagination become so strangely blended that it is afterwards almost matter of impossibility to separate the two. Nor is this the most striking phenomenon incidental to such a state. It is an undoubted fact that although our senses of touch and sight be for the time dead, yet our sleeping thoughts and the visionary scenes that pass before us will be influenced and materially influenced by the mere silent presence of some external object which may not have been near us when we closed our eyes and of whose vicinity we have had no waking consciousness. Oliver knew perfectly well that he was in his own little room, that his books were lying on the table before him, that the sweet air was stirring among the creeping plants outside, and yet he was asleep. Suddenly the scene changed, the air became close and confined, and he thought with a glow of terror that he was in the Jew's house again. There sat the hideous old man in his accustomed corner, pointing at him and whispering to another man with his face averted who sat beside him hush my dear he thought he heard the jew say it is he sure enough come away he the other man seemed to answer could i mistake him think you if a crowd of ghosts were to put themselves into his exact shape and he stood amongst them there is something that would tell me how to point him out "'If you buried him fifty feet deep and took me across his grave, "'I fancy I should know if there wasn't a mark above it "'that he laid buried there.' "'The man seemed to say this with such dreadful hatred "'that Oliver awoke with the fear and started up. "'Good heaven, what was that which sent the blood tingling to his heart "'and deprived him of his voice and of power to move? "'There, there, at the window.' close before him, so close that he could have almost touched him before he started back, with his eyes peering into the room and meeting his, there stood the Jew. And beside him, white with rage or fear or both, were the scowling features of the man who had accosted him in the inn-yard. It was but an instant, a glance, a flash before his eyes, and they were gone but they had recognized him, and he them, and their look was as firmly impressed upon his memory as if it had been deeply carved in stone and set before him from his birth. He stood transfixed for a moment, then leaping from the window into the garden, called loudly for help. End of chapter 34